I was in a really unhealthy and toxic relationship for a while. And um, the day after we broke up, something just pulled me out of bed and helped me go to church. I sat alone um, and I just sobbed the entire time. A sweet lady came up to me. She hugged me and she took my hand and she said, I'm Marianne, let's go pray. We walked out to the lobby and um, we were praying and talking and I was crying and it was just this unbelievable moment that I knew that God had sent her to me, not only just to comfort and for company, but um, to really show me and teach me about God. I just saw her as broken and I've been broken a lot in my life. The Holy Spirit just like nudged me to go to her. We get lunch and we get dinner and we always stay after service and catch up every week. I've told her I adopt her as my granddaughter and I'm her grandma away from home. <laughs> it was so cool to see her in not just my church friend, but actually in my life. It's like Paul, his relationship all through the New Testament. He talks about his love for Timothy and he even calls him son. And he calls him brother. And he has such joy in seeing Timothy grow. We had talked about getting saved and she accepted Jesus as her savior. And that was such a tying, drawing moment for both of us. I was as elated as she was. She asked me if I would get up there when she was baptized because she had no family here. When he started to baptize her, he told me to grab hold of her arm. So we both baptized her. I just, I can't, the peace I'm feeling is, um, I never, I never thought I would experience. So I'm, yeah, it's the best decision. The wisdom that you can get from someone not your age and someone who has experienced so much more life and had to rely on God so much more can give you that wisdom. There's so many people going through so many terrible things, and not everybody has somebody to pray with. This felt like the hand pulling me in and an invitation, and I was just so thankful in that moment. That's exactly what I needed, and I didn't even know. Such a, such a powerful story. I remember the first time I watched that, I was watching the team send it to me on my phone, and I'm just like, I'm in public, and I'm just, I'm just weeping, just thinking, man, that, I think that may be one of my favorite stories that we've heard as a church, and I, I love it for, for many different reasons. One of them is the, the most significant ministry, I believe, that happens at, at Crosspoint. It doesn't necessarily happen coming from a stage. It happens in the seats around living rooms and, and in rows in the auditorium and in conversations at coffee coffee houses and at restaurants, and uh, I love the multi-generational aspect of that and that you've got Miss um, Mary Ann, she's 80 years old. I, don't, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing that with you. She shared that with me. Well, we just share it with the world. We love you, Miss Mary Ann, and, and just Nikki, who opened up her heart to, uh, to receive the wisdom from somebody that's a little further down the road than her. And, and I, love, I love just the way that um, the, the discipleship happens. I love the way that, that one disciples another and just to be able to see that. And I was just thinking, reflecting on the picture, that picture, I'm like, this is a picture of everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect. And with Jesus, anything's possible. This is a picture of helping people find and follow Jesus. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. And our, our hope as a church is that, um, is that you would find yourself and find your story 
somewhere in this that maybe, maybe you, like Nikki, um, need somebody who's a little further along to help disciple you, to help you grow in your faith, to take interest in you, or, or maybe, um, maybe you, like Miss Marianne, say, you know what, I can do that. I can come alongside somebody else. This is the, it's the kingdom of God. It's such a beautiful story. And as we enter into our, our second week in the series, Behold, where this word behold, what we talked about last week, it means to pay attention. It means open up your eyes. It means look and see. You don't want to miss this. What's happening has the capacity to, to change your life. And the story that we looked at uh, the passage we looked at is Luke chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go back through and, and read this behold section of Scripture. Begin in verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, there's a word. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, in verse 11, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, what does that mean when it says he is Christ? Well, we say Jesus Christ. What, what does that mean? Well, Christ is not Jesus' last name. So it wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ and Jesus Christ, the Christ family. Christ is a, is a term, and, and in fact, when you go back and you look, and you look in the original translation in the, in the Greek, it means the, the chosen one or the anointed one. And if you've got an NIV version of the scripture, it says that he is the Messiah. That word Messiah means anointed one. When someone would hear that word Messiah, they would think the king. In the Old Testament, they anointed kings. They just poured a horn of oil over them. Go, 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 They just poured out oil on them and they anointed them saying, this is the one that God has chosen to be king. And so there was the conversation, the king story. So when the angels heard that, they knew the king story. Do you know the king story? Because when you know the king's story, this makes sense that Jesus is the, the promised one. He is the king. And, and, and here's what's so powerful about this time of year is that we, when we reflect on the reality and we behold that the king has come, we, we, we reflect on this reality that, that our king has arrived. And I believe that every heart longs for a king like Jesus, just some people don't know it yet. Every heart longs for a king like Jesus. Just some people don't know it yet. That's, that's the king story. It's what we're going to be looking at today. And to set things up, I want to tell uh, one of my uh, stories, maybe one of my best worst stories, um, which came from back when I was kind of new in ministry. And, uh, and I was at a church, 12 Stone Church, back in Atlanta. And the senior pastor of the church invited me to go on a mission trip with him. And so it's just me, him, and a couple others. And uh, we were going to go train pastors over, over in, uh, in Ukraine, in Kiev. And so we were, I'm thinking this is a great opportunity. We get on a plane, we fly over there, we, we train the pastors, and we come back. And he and I had a mentoring relationship. And so we'd meet at Tropical Smoothie Cafe. And uh, that's where all good mentoring happens. And so we're sitting down across the table. And he's, you know, we, we, we're, we're talking once we're back. And he says, how you doing? What's your reflection on the trip? And I've been struggling since I got back. I just, I just let out. And I said, uh, I said you know what? I the trip was great, but I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of disappointed. I'm just, I'm kind of disappointed in you. And, uh, and he said, disappointed in me. And I didn't know what I was feeling this. I didn't know how to, how to say it. And, 
He looked at me, he was like, disappointed in me? What are you, what are you disappointed in? He said, I really don't know. It's just a feeling that I have. He said, well, can you, can you name the sin? Can you name the sin? And I was like, thought for a while, and I was like, no, I can't name the sin. He said, well, can I tell you what I think? He said, I, I think um, you weren't looking for a pastor. You were looking for a hero. He said, I don't think you were looking for a pastor. I think you were looking for perfection. He said, I think you had me on a pedestal. He said, I think I let you close enough where you could see that I was human. He said, and that's why I think you're disappointed. He said, if you're looking for a hero, this isn't going to last. He said, but if you're looking for a pastor, here's what I want you to know. I'm just uh, another brother who's older than you. I've been in more battles than you. I've lost more friends than you. I've had more victories than you. If you're looking for, if you're looking for, a, for a hero, this ain't gonna last. But if you're looking for that, we run for a long time together. And I'm thinking at that moment, I'm like, I wanna paint my face blue, put on a kilt and charge the battlefield with you. I mean, it's like that moment. I was like, yes. And so for the next 14 years, he's my pastor until we moved here. And I just, and, and I got, and one of the greatest leaders that I've known, and here's what I can tell you about great leadership. When you see great leadership, when you see humility, when you see courage, when you see, when you see a non-anxious presence, when you see conviction, when you see somebody um, use their power to serve others rather than serve themselves, when you see that servantly, when you see great leadership, whether it's a pastor or a parent or a coach or a teacher or a boss, when you see great leadership, you see a glimpses of Jesus. But at best, they're just glimpses because Nobody's perfect. So at best, they're just glimpses. But we realize that all fall short of the glory of God. And so every heart longs for a king like Jesus. Every heart longs for a king like Jesus. And Jesus is the, he is the one who fills that space in our lives when we see him for who he is. And so I pray that today that you get a glimpse of who he is, that he is the one that your heart has longed for. And maybe there have been leaders where you haven't seen a glimpse of Jesus. You've seen a glimpse of something else. And my prayer today is that Jesus would heal your heart because the one who hurt you can't heal your heart. Jesus is the one who can heal your heart. Not only is he king, but he's also healer. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas is that the king came close. And in his life, we find healing. And that's one of his attributes. And today, my prayer is that, that our eyes are open to see how good he is as our king because our hearts long for a king like Jesus, even if we don't know it yet. And the Old, the Old Testament tells the story of the anointed one, the Messiah, of the king, and it takes us all the way back to the garden. We go back to the garden. We see this scripture in Genesis 1:26, when God created Adam and Eve. It says, "And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion.'" Dominion is a is a is a good. Um, it's a kingdom word. It's a kingdom word. It means it means the rule and reign over a certain sphere, over a certain space. It says, God says, "Let us make mankind in our image." And, and that, that he would and she would rule and reign, that they would have dominion. And so this is kingdom language. And that we were made to, to steward and to grow and to cultivate. God says that we were made in his image, in the image of a king. And so we've all got our own little kingdoms. And then God says there's only one rule. And the one rule is this, you, you can eat, listen, you can eat from any other tree in the garden, but there's one tree that you can't eat from. That tree 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you'll die. And then Satan comes in on the scene and says, says did God really say? Listen, that's still the trick he, he pulls. To get us to doubt God's word, to get us to doubt the goodness of God, that God really cares for us, that God's really out for our best interest and for his glory. Did God, did God really say, did he really say, and Adam and Eve, they take the bait, and then they sin. And sin creates a mess. Like sin always creates a mess. It creates a mess of things. Clashes in kingdoms, breaks down business, breaks down churches, families, fractures families, teams, tears teams apart. Sin always makes a mess of things, but in the garden what we see is that God promises that a king would come where sin wouldn't get the final word that a king would come who would overcome sin and death forever, that would rule and reign in righteousness and in justice and come to restore all things, that good news, a king is coming. And we read through the Old Testament, we see about Abraham and God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, I'm gonna make a great nation and Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. And through your offspring, this Messiah or this king would come and that there will be, you will be a blessing to all the other nations that through you, there's gonna be this Messiah, this, this king who will rule and reign and it will come through your, your offspring. And then we get to Moses. Moses is not the king, but he's a deliverer. And through Moses, God sets his people free. And God rules his people through, through prophets and through judges. But God was their only king. God uses other people to bring direction. And then you've got Samuel, who was the last judge and the first prophet. And the people come to Samuel when he's old, and here's what they say. They say, we want a king over us, and then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. What did they want? They wanted a king that they could see. See, they forgot their story. They forgot that they had a king that they couldn't see who was fighting their battles. Read through the before and you find that there's a king that they couldn't see who was fighting their battles, but they forgot their story. And we forget our story sometimes and we want a king that we can see. And so we wanna be like other nations. We wanna be like the world when, when God is reminding us that he is a king who fights our battles for us and we can trust in him. But when we forget our story, we try to be like the world. We try to be like those who don't know God, who clamor for the kings of this world. And in 1 Samuel 8, 7, we see how, how God feels about this. He says to Samuel, he says, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. You just, you hear God's heart in this. You hear God's heart in that he is heartbroken, but God gives them what they ask for. Kind of like when a child asks for a gift and you know that the gift is not gonna do the thing that the box says it's gonna do or the commercial says it's gonna do, but you just give the thing because they say that's what they want. God gives them what they ask for and he gives them king, he gives them Saul, he gives them David, he gives them Solomon, he gives them other kings. But even that, that, uh, that fills them because kings, kings make a mess of things. The Old Testament tells the story of king after king after king, and even David, who was the best king, he forgot his story, and he made a mess of things. In nearly two chapters in Scripture, he breaks about all the Ten Commandments. So kings make a mess of things. To the prophets, God's telling them, another king's coming. I'm gonna send another king. And so if you're sitting in a mess today, if you've experienced a mess in your life, 
whether one that you've made or one that somebody else has made, you need to know that another king has come. The prophets tell about him. They say, this is what he's going to be like. This is, the, this is the king that's come. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his, king, of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And so Isaiah is saying, there's a king coming, and he tells us this is what his attributes are going to be like. He is going to be wonderful. He's going to be wonderful in that he's going to fill your heart with awe and wonder. You will never get bored with him. If you're bored with Jesus, you got the wrong one. He said, he is filled with, he is wonderful. He is majestic in his power. His power is without end. It does not stop. Impossibility is not in his vocabulary. Anything's possible. We didn't come up with that. Jesus did. And so we say that, that God, his power is without, is without end. He says, he will be a counselor. He will be the one who will listen to you. I was talking with a counselor friend. They say that a lot of people Pay for a counselor just to have somebody to listen. Jesus will be the one to listen to you. He's someone you can trust in, someone you can confide in. He's one who will guide you and give you wisdom and life. He is, he is powerful and he is everlasting. He has a kingdom that will last forever. He came to conquer sin and death. His kingdom will not end, which means that if you're in his kingdom, you don't have to fear death. You will live forever. This is his kingdom. It says that he is the prince of peace. He is the king of glory, but he's also the prince of peace. That means whatever you're struggling with today, you can bring it to him and he will give you. There is peace in his presence. He is a non-anxious presence. and He will give you his peace. And so Isaiah is saying, when that king comes, I want you to look for a king like that, because when that king comes, his attributes, you can experience his attributes. And then Isaiah tells us not just the attributes of the king, he tells us about the king's agenda. In Isaiah chapter 61, now this is 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene. This is what he says his agenda is. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim anointed. There's that word. Gum, 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 gum. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, kings always have an agenda. This is Jesus' agenda. This is what Isaiah is saying. When the king comes, he's going to have this agenda. This is the kind of things he's going to do. So be on the lookout for a king with attributes like this and be on the lookout for a king with an agenda like this. And so then Micah takes it a little bit further. This is 700 years before Jesus shows up. Micah tells us about the king's arrival. So we got the king's attributes, the king's agendas, king's arrival. They all start with A, so that's how you know it's good. And so this is what he says. You, you, this is how he's going to show up. In Micah chapter 5, 2, he says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, although you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He said, there's going to come the king, and he's going to, he's going to have attributes like this. Come the king, and he's going to have an agenda like this. Come king, and he, you're going to know that he shows up when he shows up at this place. Now, what was the place, Micah said? Bethlehem. This tiny little podunk town that all it was really known for was that King David was born there. Now, rewind back to the scripture we read. It said that Jesus would be born in David's town, that it, he would be born in Bethlehem. The story is all, if you know the king's story, you see it all coming together. 
And Matthew 2.1 gives us this detail. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. See, Matthew wants us to see that all these things are coming together and that the Messiah has come. But here's a detail is that Israel already had a king. His name was Herod. King Herod was known as Herod the Great, but he was not great. He was an evil man. He was bloodthirsty, slain many. He was built his kingdom on the back of slave labor. He did whatever it took to impress the world with his greatness. He was obsessed with his greatness. He called himself Herod the Great. And, you know, when you go back and you look at the story, you see that, uh, that he was constantly paranoid. He was paranoid that someone would take over his kingdom. He killed his own family. He killed his own children, drowned one of his sons in the royal pool. This is who they called Herod the Great. You know, Rome called him the king of the Jews when he was 33. Caesar called him Herod the friend of Romans. He was known as Herod the builder because he built these incredible buildings. He built the temple there in Jerusalem. He built, a, built fortresses, one that we'll look at called Masada. He built cities, but Masada was this, this fortress that he built, and it was this, this, in, this huge fortress that was built in the Judean wilderness overlooking the Dead Sea. And Herod built this fortress as a place that he could, it was his getaway, that he could go hide if the Jews revolted against him. And so he built this massive fortress, kind of luxurious fort, just with tile floors, and he built it with slave labor on the, and through taxes on the Jewish people, and, and he built it as a place to, to retreat if, if they revolted against him. And so you've got these mosaic floors and these fresco walls, and he built it to, to protect himself, but also to, um, to make a name for himself. So this is King Herod the Great. Not far from this fortress, Jesus was born. Not far from Masada, you've got Bethlehem. In the shadow of Masada, you've got Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph and another king is being born. And the contrast between those two kings, I mean, is God trying to tell us something? Herod in his castle, Jesus in the cave. Herod in his robes, Jesus in swaddling clothes. Herod lives to protect himself, and Jesus takes a risk to serve others. Herod is insulated. Nothing can get to him. Jesus is vulnerable. What's more vulnerable than an infant? Herod is a friend of Rome. Jesus would be known as a friend of sinners. Herod is paranoid. Jesus, calling the Prince of Peace, you've never seen such peace. Herod sacrificed others to, to build his kingdom. Jesus sacrificed himself to build his kingdom, to save others. So you've got this contrast between these two, Herod and Jesus. And Jesus has an agenda, just like Herod had an agenda. It was his greatness and his kingdom. Jesus had an agenda too. Let me show you Jesus' agenda. If you've got a Bible, you can turn one page over um, from Luke chapter two to Luke chapter four. And in Luke chapter four, we have Jesus giving his first message. And he gives this first message in a synagogue. He goes back to his hometown in Nazareth after he's baptized. His ministry has begun. And he gives us his agenda. Now, 
Um, when we were over in Israel, we got to go to like a replica synagogue like would be built and uh, like would have been there in Nazareth in Jesus' day. And so we're in there. And as we're in there, this guy gets up and he reads, he reads this passage. And it just, I mean, it just all came together in that moment. Luke chapter four, verse 16, it says, and he came to Nazareth, he being Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now there was a reading, a designated reading for the day. And so it just so happened, coincidence, I think not, just so happened in that moment, Jesus steps up and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah and the reading for the day in that day when Jesus' ministry begins, his first message was to stand up and to read Isaiah. And what is the place in the reading for the day? It's Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Because he has anointed me. He's poured it out on me. Remember, he was baptized in the Jordan, and when he came, the Holy Spirit came on him. He was anointed in that moment. His ministry began. The Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has, has been fulfilled and you're hearing what Jesus is saying, it's inauguration day. You got eyes to see, he's saying the king is now here and the difference between the king is nowhere and the king is now here is just a space about this big. And it's in that space in our lives where we realize a moment that we behold and the people who are sitting there that Jesus is the king and they had to decide, is he my king? Because the question is not, is he the king? That matter has already been settled. And it says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, is he Lord over my life? Is he Lord over your life? Because life does not make sense when we are king. In the moment when they sinned in the garden, they declared, we're gonna make our own rules. Listen, he didn't come as a consultant, he came as king. He might be a counselor, but that doesn't mean he's a consultant. <laughs> That his way is the best way. In a moment where you say, you are Christ, you are Lord, you're saying, my trust is in you. Jesus, you came to set things right in the world, but you came to set things right in me. And it happens in that moment of surrender. Jesus is king, and he says, when the kingdom comes, this is the kind of stuff that's gonna happen. The oppressed are gonna be set free. Prisoners are gonna find freedom. People who are blind are gonna find sight. The gospel is going to go to the poor. And so we started thinking and praying and dreaming together as a, as a team as we're going, okay, as we come into this year-end offering as a church, like what would it look like for us to take the kingdom agenda and just let that direct our giving at the end of the year? What would it be like for us just to say, Jesus, we want to be about your kingdom agenda? And as a church, we want that all year long. But we said, what if there are some specific ways, some initiatives that we can we can come alongside some people who are doing good in these ways. So the first thing is that, you know, when Jesus says that the gospel will go to the poor, that the gospel is going to go to the poor. What does it look like for the gospel to go to the poor? I don't know if you realize it, but, but Tennessee, in Tennessee, um, has become the home for, for 600,000 um, internationals. And many of those are refugees who are seeking asylum, immigrants, and many of those come to our country with, with just the clothes on their back. 
and they do not have a church in their, in their heart language. And so in reality, we have, um, we have unreached people groups in our backyard. Jesus said, I want you to go to the nations, but he's brought the nations to us. And so the question is, do we, have, do we have a heart for the nations? We've got some friends, um, Fadi Al-Hagal, and the International Leadership Coalition, and they're helping start and strengthen churches in communities that don't have churches around our city and around our region. And as a church, we're saying, um, Jesus, we want your heart in reaching those that don't, ne- don't yet know you and don't have a church in their language. And so we've got an opportunity to come together, and we want to go and say, you know what, there's, by not having anything but what's on your back and not having a church to be a part of, we want to take the gospel to the poor, and we want to bring the kingdom there. And so that's, that's part of this agenda. But as we're asking, okay, what else would be on your agenda? Um, he says that when the kingdom comes, there's going to be freedom from the prisoners. There's going to be freedom for, for prisoners. And we love what's happening at God Behind Bars at the Tennessee Prison for Women. We love what God is, is doing there. And it's an important part of our church. We started thinking and reflecting, what would it look like for us to, to come alongside men who are in prison in this season? And there is a, uh, there's a group, there's a ministry called Men of Valor. And they do great work when it comes to, to mentoring inside the walls and then also um, aftercare after prisoners are released. And so the, the national rates of people who find themselves back, um, back in prison are 70%. And with men of valor, what they, what they report is 15%. And so we're going, you know what, that, that would be a kingdom to help, help these men find freedom relationally, spiritually, emotionally. It will come, come alongside them. We can, we can be a part of that together. Next is that, um, that we started talking about the sight for the blind. And we believe that in a moment, God can help somebody see. Like Nikki's story, spiritually, a person can, can see. The lights can come on, but also physically. And we've got a partner, World Relief, and doing great work around the world. Um, one, of our, one of our countries with specific focus is, um, is Cambodia. And, uh, and World Relief is doing great work in Malawi when it comes to, uh, to disability and some of the initiatives that they've got going on there. Um, they want to begin work in Cambodia, and we said we can be a partner for that. We can help begin that work. And then last is that the oppressed find freedom. And, uh, and one of the greatest problems in our city right now is, um, is mental health and recovery. And there's a real need. And so one of the ways that we can be a part of helping meet that, and we've got lots of great, great partners that we work with, but we just begin to think, okay, what are, what are a couple partners that we can come alongside with mental health and recovery in this season? And the needs are great. Opportunities are there um, for us to bring the kingdom. And so we start a conversation with Next Door for, for Women and Discovery Place for Men. It's an opportunity for us to come alongside them. And we believe that for God to, to move in a city, um, it, takes, it, takes, it takes an army. And it's not just us as a church, but it's great partnerships with us as a church. And so we want to come alongside some of these organizations. So as you're considering year in giving, you know, you've heard that as a church, the first 10% that comes in goes out throughout the door. We want to double that to multiply our impact this season to say, would up there come down here? That the kingdom of God would move forward. And for the kingdom of God to move, it happens through us. So as you're praying and as you're looking at year in giving, um, that's what we want to double down this year and the kingdom on the kingdom agenda. Because when God builds his kingdom, he does it through his people. See, Herod 
and Jesus um, couldn't be more different, but there was one thing they had in common. You know what it was? They were, they were, both, uh, they were both builders. Herod, he built a temple. He built a city on a hill. He built a fortress. Herod builds a temple, and Jesus looks at his father and says, I'm building a temple, it's you. Crosspoint, it's you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Herod built a city, a fortress on a hill. Jesus looks at the church, and he says, you are the city on a hill. You shine your light that the world would see. You are a city on a hill that's been, that's been positioned. My glory, that my light would be revealed. You are a city on a hill. He said, I am building, constructing with you. You are these living stones. And Jesus is still building his kingdom. But I've been to Israel, and I'm going to tell you, all of Herod's building projects are in ruins. Let's go back to that picture. Jesus is still building. This is a picture of how Jesus is building his kingdom. He's building through you. And his kingdom goes on forever. So the question today, as we talk about that the king has now come, the question is, is he king over your heart, over your life? Maybe that's the reason that you don't have the peace you long for. It's because today it comes to a moment of surrender and receiving the peace that only Jesus can give. Maybe Maybe he's become more of a consultant in your life rather than the king of your life. And today is to come back to that place and say, Jesus, I bring my life, I bring my heart, I bring it to you. Maybe like Herod, you've been focusing on what you can build for your own name. will ultimately end up in ruins. But Jesus wants to invite you to put your energy toward what lasts forever. To build his kingdom. Maybe today you just need a moment just to sit and to receive from his attributes, from who he is, and his presence. And if that's the case today, I wanna, I wanna lead you in a prayer. In fact, I'd ask that you'd bow your head and your hearts all across the room. Jesus, we thank you for your arrival. We thank you for your promise. Say, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. So we thank you that you're here. We thank you for your arrival. You showed up in Bethlehem. And you are right now with us where we are. Pray for those today that need specific prayer, that need somebody to pray with them in their trial, their problem, whatever they're facing. God, I thank you for our pastors, and for our prayer team that will be down front at the end of the service. I pray that people wouldn't leave without being willing to receive. That's what you're stirring in their heart. Have a meeting with the king. If today you have never, like Nikki, made Jesus the king over your life, to receive his salvation, his rescue, his forgiveness, his love, your heart. You've longed for a king like Jesus. And through the cross, he's made it possible that he would be king for you. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, then I'd invite you just to make a prayer like this your own. Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
thank you for being a king that lays down your life for me. Right now, I receive your grace. I receive your peace. I receive your forgiveness. I make you my king. I follow you here on earth. But forever with you in heaven. Thank you for saving. Father, I pray that those that made that their prayer, that you give them the courage to take a next step, whether through a card or through a conversation down front at the end. And then right now, I pray that we would bring whatever is in our heart, whatever has us distracted, discouraged, whatever has us weighed down, that we would bring it to the Prince of Peace. So if you just want to cup your hands, just open your hands and cup your hands. Is representing what you're bringing to, to your king, to the prince of peace and the king of glory. Visualize your burden is in your hands. Jesus, I give it to you. You are the king of glory. Would you be my prince of peace? trust you. I can trust you with this. I trust that you care for me. I trust your word. I trust that you're working in my life. And I trust that you love me. I surrender this to you. Now I'm going to invite you to take one of your hands, just put it over your heart. Jesus, you are king over the universe. You are king over the world. You are the king of glory. Would you be my prince of peace? Father, I pray for every heart across our church and those online. I pray for every heart that right now you would fill them with supernatural peace. That they would know your presence. That they would know your power. That they would know your love. That they would know your nearness. Continue to walk in trust and receive your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Before you are uh, dismissed, I want to remind you of two things. If you need prayer, we're going to have a team down front like Nikki and Miss Mary Ann. Miss Mary Ann asked me, she said, uh, she said, can we pray for people today? I was like, yes, we can. So when Miss Mary Ann asks for anything, you say yes. The answer is yes, ma'am. So we're going to have teams down front. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. And there are going to be these cards on the way out. Be asking God who needs to be the recipient of an invitation this year because that's how God moves through an invitation. We'll see you next week.